0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service which is already underway and listen to the message. My subject for your consideration this morning is Apostolic 2.0. And if you think I'm talking about a revised or renovated apostolic message or lifestyle or doctrine, Um, I rebuke you in Jesus' name there. We good? Uh, Because I'm not, but I want to talk to you about something very important. One of the great disasters of history took place in A.D. 1271. Niccolo and Matteo Polo, who were the father and the uncle of the famous explorer Marco Polo, they were visiting Kublai Khan, who at that time was the world ruler over China and India and all of the Far East. He was convicted by the story of Christianity as Niccolo and Matteo told it to him. And here's what Kublai Khan said. Send me 100 men skilled in your religion and I shall be baptized. And when I am baptized, all my barons and great men will be baptized and their subjects will receive baptism too. So then there will be more Christians here than there are in your part of the world. And so Niccolo and Matteo Polo went back home, and nothing was done for more than 30 years. Finally, two or three missionaries were sent, but far too little and far too late. It baffles the imagination, brothers and sisters, to think what a difference to our modern world it would have made if China had welcomed the message of the Bible in the 13th century. And the culture of the Orient had been oriented toward the Lord Jesus. Those two men missed an incredible opportunity. And so God's purpose for their time was delayed and even frustrated. It is all too easy due to misguided priorities, sometimes mislaid passion. it's, It's all too easy to miss the purposes of God in any generation. God helping us. I want to avoid that error in our time. We need to be diligent to follow the lessons of the Bible and specifically the book of Acts, which is the blueprint for building an apostolic church. It is not just a doctrine or a history book. And so today, as briefly as I can, I want to take you on a little tour of the first century, brothers and sisters who served Jesus in your way, but 2,000 years ago. And we begin in Jerusalem, In the year A.D. 30, the year that Jesus died, was buried and resurrected. And then this happened, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so here it is, the words of Jesus himself and the church's promised power in Acts 1 and 8. But the Holy Ghost was not primarily given so we could feel goosebumps in a Sunday morning service. The Holy Ghost was primarily given so the church could have an evangelistic effort that would impact their city, Jerusalem, and their region, Judea, and then move cross-culturally into Samaria, and ultimately that they could impact the globe, impact the then-known world. The narrative contained in the book of Acts between Acts 1, verse 8 and Acts 6, verse 7 covers a period of about five years. And during that time, that first five years, the Jerusalem church and miracles of healing and holy boldness, and they grew in spite of persecution and opposition and even a few internal disputes. It's, it's quite remarkable. And their growth rate in Jerusalem is, is impressive by anyone's standard. 3,000 people in Acts 2.41, 5,000 men in Acts 4 and 4, and multitudes of men and women in Acts 5.14. Even a great company of the Jewish priests joined the church in Acts 6 verse 7. Here's Acts 6 verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now just calculating very quickly, you can see that that's quite an impressive growth rate, but here's the problem, it's right there in that verse. It all happened inside Jerusalem. Jerusalem certainly enjoyed the rich blessing of the Lord during the church's first five years. And many souls were within her walls in that one single city. They did come to salvation. But here's the question. It's always the question. What about the 99.9% of the human population of their day who did not live in that one city? And what about the other cultures that God specifically told them to reach? It is now five years after the day of Pentecost. The clock is ticking And not one Gentile has yet been reached with the new birth message. That five-year honeymoon was shattered with the martyrdom of Stephen. He was one of the deacons from Acts chapter 6. And the intense persecution that arose around that time from a man named Saul of Tarsus. And suddenly, disciples are being scattered everywhere. But here's the, the amazing thing. As things grew worse in Jerusalem... Great things began to happen in Judea and even in Samaria. So here's how it goes in the book of Acts. We're meant to notice this. We're meant to learn this. In one swift act of persecution, God forced obedience on his church, and he compelled them to mobilize outside their four walls. You might not like this. I'm not sure I do. But Stephen's death... A terrible circumstance, one that brought the church to the edge of mourning and grief. Stephen's death probably resulted in more obedience to the Great Commission than any other single event in the history of the early church. It was even a major factor in the conversion of somebody you've probably heard about, the Apostle Paul. Acts 8 verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles, basically at this point, the, the church says, you go into hiding. You lead us from here, from a sheltered space. Now, the message, we're meant to notice this. This isn't, there's nothing accidental or incidental in your Bible. We're meant to see this. The message hidden in these events is fearful and it's awesome. God loves lost people so very much. He will allow anything to happen in order to reach them. God is not primarily committed to successful ministries or ministers. God is not primarily committed to great churches or wonderful buildings or awesome congregations. God is primarily committed to what we call the Great Commission. And if we will not go to do something about that, God only has two alternatives to move the church out of our Jerusalem comfort zone. And the first one sounds awful, It's persecution. God will allow uncomfortable things to happen to make us think outside the box and to make us begin to do something for his kingdom. You say, that's terrible, that's awful. Well, the second option is worse. Because if persecution doesn't work, God does have a second option. It terrifies me. His second option is substitution that he'll find somebody else who does have a missionary heart, some other church who does have a missionary mindset, and he'll use somebody else who will go willingly. The narrative in Acts now moves to Judea and Samaria. It's the year A.D. 35. Philip, another one of the young deacons from Acts chapter 6, suddenly, because of persecution, he winds up in Samaria. He doesn't know anything else to do this young kid, this young guy, he, he he's meals on wheels for the widow ladies. That's all he's supposed to do. But he doesn't know anything else to do, so he just starts preaching. He's not even one of the leaders. He doesn't even have a church key or a church office. But God begins to move outside the box and use this young man, and he gives Philip a great revival. Acts 8 verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached "'Christ unto them, and the people with one accord "'gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, "'hearing and seeing the miracles which he did.'" Now this is kind of funny, really. The apostles back in Jerusalem in hiding are now forced to play catch-up with what is happening. Here's why. Because the revival God is sending has begun to move outside of what they can manage, what they can organize, or what they can control. God is even beginning to use people that they did not expect Him to use like young Philip. Can I say to Calvary Church this morning, God has a revival and a harvest and an evangelistic effort in our generation. Yeah, I'm aware of a little thing called a global pandemic, but God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And He wants to use people just like us to bless and to expand His kingdom. Verse 14, Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria, unbelievable Samaria, had received the Word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. They couldn't believe that God would move in Samaria, this downright outcast part of society, but God did. At the same time, God's moving sovereignly behind the scenes. This is not on anybody's radar because there's basically a terrorist who persecutes Christians and hates the cause of God, and he is working against the church. He's had Christians uh, arrested and hauled into jail and even martyred. And what nobody sees coming is that God is working on the heart of that terrorist named Saul of Tarsus. And God is about to turn him around and give the church a great leader, preacher, writer, theologian, and the greatest missionary of the first century. The Lord even conscripts Ananias and Barnabas to make sure that Saul of Tarsus is brought to the church in Jerusalem. But here's the problem. His conversion story is pretty unique. And his ministry is outside the box. So do you know what Jerusalem does with this great missionary of the first century, this revolutionary guy anointed by God? They send him home to Tarsus until they can decide what to do with him. Acts 9 and 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he tried, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They believed not that he was a disciple. They could not see outside of their little box to let God do something that was going to blow their mind. They just couldn't manage that kind of vision. It is now 10 years, 10 years after the day of Pentecost, and not one Gentile has yet been reached with the Acts 2.38 new birth message. It's not that the Jerusalem church got up in their pulpit and they said, "Will we reject the Great Commission. They didn't do that. It's just that they couldn't seem to manage the kind of vision that was required during this period of church history. So God used persecution first, and that had some results. That at least got them into Judea and Samaria. But when that didn't work, God had to result, God had to resort to option B, to substitution when they continued to resist. You see, even some of the leaders in Jerusalem We're afraid to get out of that box. The narrative in Acts now moves to Caesarea and to Antioch. It is A.D. 40. It is 10 years after the day of Pentecost. And thank God for this chapter in the book of Acts. I love Acts chapter 2. But you want to thank God every day that there's an Acts chapter 10 in your Bible because there wouldn't be any Gentiles in the church if it wasn't for Acts chapter 10. Acts 10 verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man. He was one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. And I would add a little PS on that verse. He didn't know the God he was praying to, but he prayed always. Do you understand that there are people in this area of your city and in this uh, county in your state, do you understand there are people that are good people and they pray and, and they try to do what's right in their eyes and they don't know what you know? So please don't judge them for that because you got to the wonderful message of the Lord Jesus and His gospel. Don't judge them because you got there first. He prayed always. I don't know what Cornelius' prayer sounded like. He was a Roman. He was a pagan. He certainly didn't pray to the one true God, but he prayed always. And his prayer probably sounded a lot like the prayers of people that are in your city. Oh God, there's got to be something more to this than the way I'm living. There's got to be more to life than this. And God saw the sincere prayer of a pagan Roman centurion and he sent an apostolic preacher to him. But here's the problem, brothers and sisters. It's a decade after Pentecost. And the church still hasn't moved out of their comfort zone to reach the Gentiles. If it hadn't been for God's direct and forceful intervention, none of us would be in the church today. But thankfully, through two visions, God sent one vision to Cornelius to tell him who to look for. And he sent another vision to Peter, the Pentecost preacher, to tell him to go and preach to Cornelius. Guess which person was more resistant to that vision? It was the Pentecostal preacher. Peter was reluctant to move outside his comfort zone. You see, Peter preached something. You, you may take issue with this, but Peter preached something on the day of Pentecost that he didn't believe. He, he did what a lot of preachers do, what pastor does every once in a while. He got out of his sermon notes, and the anointing hit him, and then he started telling you really what's what. Creatures are dangerous when they get out of their sermon notes. And so Peter preached on the day of Pentecost something I don't think he even believed. For the promise is unto you. Now that part's good, that's Jewish people. And unto your children, that's still good, that's still Jewish people. But then he got anointed. And all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I don't have issue with the Apostle Peter. And if he has issue with me saying this, we can talk about it in heaven. But 10 years later, Peter has not moved to reach anybody that is not their children and their children's children. But God sends him a vision, and he goes to the household of Cornelius under protest. It's a really a hilarious part of your Bible because you know, God sends Peter three visions, really like three nightmares. There's all kinds of creepy crawly animals in these sheets over his head. And it's all unclean stuff that good Jewish boys don't eat. And Peter said, I'm not eating that. And God says, what I have cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. Peter, what I am working in, don't you have an attitude about it. And so, after these three visions, there's a knock at the door, and Peter goes downstairs from the rooftop to open the door. And guess what? There's three Gentile men standing there. That's why the three visions. God was saying, when they show up, you go with them. So, Peter did what every good Pentecostal pastor would do he took six bodyguards with him in case there was any trouble. Read your Bible, it's in there, two to one. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. And he goes to the household of Cornelius. And when he walks in the door and begins to talk to those people and he sees the hunger, suddenly he realizes what seemed to be invisible to him for a decade. Acts 10 verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. It's an amazing piece of scripture because if it hadn't been for that moment, we wouldn't have this moment this morning. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words. He's just explaining the gospel in simple terms. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost went, boom! The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Now you know this next verse is coming. And they of the circumcision, the six Jewish bodyguards, which believe, they were astonished, they were shocked, as many as came with Peter. And here's why they're shocked. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. They did not see that coming. They could not comprehend that God could move outside their comfort zone, outside their little box, outside the way they had always done it, and reach Gentiles. Now, it's hard to imagine that anyone would have a problem with the people God is using to bring souls into his kingdom. But some in Jerusalem did. They actually contended with Peter in the next chapter. They contend with him, and they basically say, Peter, you got out of your lane, buddy. You started working with people and preaching to people and reaching for people that, that we're not used to and we're not comfortable with. And, and Peter, basically, his answer is this, what was I supposed to do? God filled them with the Holy Ghost the same as he filled us with the Holy Ghost 10 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Acts 11 and 17. For as much then as God gave them the same gift, the like gift, as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his answer. What was I that I could withstand God? You expect me to get in the middle of God and the people he's trying to reach? Not me, buddy. I'm going to be right there as a conduit of the witness, of the gospel, of the Holy Ghost, of prayer. I'm going to be a conduit of love and compassion and whoever God wants to reach. I'm looking for the kingdom of God to get bigger, not to stay narrow and sheltered and careful and cautious. You see, here's what we're supposed to notice. Because Jerusalem kept trying to control what God was doing, God eventually moved that revival beyond their control. Verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word. This is unbelievably arrogant. Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only even when they were scattered, even when God kicked them out of their comfort zone and sent them scattered through Judea and Samaria and beyond, they would look up little pockets of people who were just like them. And they thought those were the only candidates for God to work in their lives. Those were the only candidates to be baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost people that shared their Jewish culture and their Jewish history and their Jewish Jewish ethnicity and language and preference. And uh, that's what they saw. That's all they could see. Antioch is predominantly a Gentile city. It is inconceivable that the Christians who ended up preaching in Antioch would ignore everybody except this little minuscule minority of Jews. They assumed they were the only one God wanted to save. That's exactly what they did. Because their vision was limited only to the religious culture they already identified with. I love your great nation. I spend a lot of time here every year this beautiful, stately, patriotic country that is being assailed and attacked by so many converging and conflicting ideologies and ideas and and, and forces. But please hear me, church, this morning. Don't get your eyes off the big goal. Because the big goal is that even people that you disagree with politically and morally, don't you say God can't reach them or win them or save them. Don't don't get your eyes like the Jerusalem church focused on just the people that are like you and just the people that share kind of some of your background and some of your philosophy and some of your politics. And certainly don't get your eyes focused on just your little narrow bandwidth of ethnicity and language. God wants to reach people that you've never seen coming. God wants to reach people you don't even hardly think they'd ever make a good apostolic. But God is already working in their life. God is already positioning this church to reach people just like that. He's already doing it. And so be very careful that we don't repeat the mistake of the first century church. Because if they had had their way, we would have been prevented from joining their nice little Jewish apostolic church. It wouldn't have happened. And we wouldn't be here this morning acts verse eleven uh, acts eleven verse twenty, and some of them thank God this is the turn in the book of Acts that so many people read past but were meant to notice it, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they did something unthinkable. They spoke under the grecians preaching the Lord Jesus, and here 's where it happens in the book of Acts. so many people read right past this, and at this moment, the hand of the Lord whew, lifts up off the Jerusalem church and moves over the hand of blessing and anointing, direction and provision, moves over and lays on the Antioch church. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. Brothers and sisters, this is a moment of destiny when the church at Antioch was born. This was not just a few transplants from the Jerusalem Jewish subculture. Now we've got some sinfully irreverent, biblically illiterate Gentiles who are coming into the church. They don't know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They know nothing about the temple or the tabernacle. They don't know about the priests or the sacrifices or the feast days, but they are hungry for Jesus. And those people in Antioch said, if they're hungry, we're going to reach them. If they're hungry, we're going to preach to them. If they're hungry, we're going to love them. We're going to let them have a chance to belong to the apostles church i am forever grateful for this moment in the book of acts and in the history of the church it's why we're here today that moment is why the apostolics would soon be known as they which have turned the world upside down that moment made that difference and that moment is why there is a church at all in the 21st century Jerusalem never did know how to deal with revolutionary revivalists like Paul. He continually jumped fences and ignored protocol and broke tradition to win the lost. And that's why they sent him back to Tarsus to cool off when he first appeared in Jerusalem. Tales of a wild, life-changing encounter with God. They didn't know what to do with that. He wanted to evangelize pagan Gentiles. We don't want those pagan Gentiles dirtying up our nice, clean church. And that's why Jerusalem, the place where it all happened, the place of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, the place where the first sermon was preached in the apostolic church age and the first altar call was ever given, and Acts 2.38 was first said, Jerusalem never got to send out history's greatest missionary. Instead, that honor fell to the church in Antioch. They sent out Paul the apostle on all of his missionary journeys. You know why? Because they had a missionary heart that refused to be confined to a little box. Acts eleven twenty five. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. Barnabas finally said, I have had enough of this. We've got a guy that's cooling his jets way over in Tarsus and revivals happening and we need all hands on deck. So if he's got a passion to reach the, the Gentiles, let him go, let him reach. We'll support it. We'll pray for it. We're going to be behind it. And when he found Saul, he didn't take him to Jerusalem to be rejected one more. He to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Here's the verse that should not be in your Bible. And the disciples were called Christians. It should say Jerusalem, but it doesn't because they didn't have the vision to manage their moment in God's kingdom. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It's unthinkable was richly blessed. It was doctrinally sound. But God turned his attention to Antioch because while Jerusalem had the right doctrine and the right lifestyle and they had the right spiritual experience, they would not embrace God's command to reach the world by any means possible. Jerusalem held on to their resources and their blessings. They insisted on rigid structure and protocol, but Antioch, they accepted that God had the right to demand of them anything or anyone he wanted to use. You'd think that by now Jerusalem would get it. that They would realize just how much God wanted them to change their attitude, but they didn't. While Antioch is sending out missionaries, Jerusalem's still fighting to control what God's doing and who God's using. And that brings us to one final thing the only general conference in the Bible. The narrative now changes to the Jerusalem Council. It's A.D. 50. It is now 20 years after the day of Pentecost. I don't have time um, to just kind of lay all this out. Let me be very quick here. Acts 15, certain men which came down from Judea, they're teaching the brethren, they're saying... Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. So basically they're saying, unless you become Jewish, you can't become apostolic. And we look at that and we say, that's terrible. But sometimes we do the same thing. Because we actually demand that people share all of our politics and all of our moral convictions and all of our holiness standards and whatever else. And, and I believe in all of that stuff. However, when it becomes a barrier to sharing the gospel with a whole group of people, we've got to say, we'll teach you that later. Right now, what we need to do is get you to Jesus and get the Holy Ghost in you. And we'll work on the rest next week. We'll work on the rest as you grow. But right now, we're just going to reach you with the gospel of Jesus Christ and let you be in the church just like Jesus let us be in the church. We're not arrogant with this message. We're generous with this message. Oh, I wish you'd lift up your hands and your voice and just, just thank God. God privileged us to let us be in His church today. I don't have time. Media folks, if you'll help me, we're going to skip two or three things here. And I just want to go to the end because there's, there's three speakers, actually four at the Jerusalem Church Council, and you know what it is when you get four preachers talking. We'll be here all day, so we'll skip that. <laughs> but basically, I can save you the time and say that the conclusion of the first and only general conference in the New Testament is that let's tell the Gentiles Here's the minimums we need you to do. We need you to get the new birth message. We need you to love Jesus with all your heart. We need you to depart from your idolatry and your pagan lifestyle. But you know what? All the Jewish feast days and festivals, and you knowing who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, and you honoring Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we'll work on that. We just want to get you to God. Amen. There's still room in the 21st century for an Antioch church right here in Cincinnati, and I believe I'm standing in one this morning, that says it's not just about here. It's not just about us. It's not just about me and my family, my kids and my grandkids. It's about the Great Commission. It's about starting a church beyond our borders. It's about giving to missionaries beyond our country. It's about... There is one more footnote on this little history, and it actually is outside of the parameters of the book of Acts. The narrative shifts, and in history, we read the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Twenty years after the day of Pentecost, the Jerusalem church was still hindering revival by trying to control it. Twenty years. And so, forty years after the day of Pentecost, there is no Jerusalem church left anymore. God allowed the very city of Jerusalem to be totally destroyed. But the city of Antioch, the church in Antioch, was still going strong. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm finished. The music can come, come back. There are two New Testament church models. There are two. The first one is they're apostolic 1.0. They're Jerusalem. They've got the right doctrine. They've got the right lifestyle. They've got the right message. It's wonderful. They've been blessed of God, and there's all kinds of wonderful things that have happened. But they've got one huge gaping hole in their theology and experience. And they they just can't see beyond themselves. They can't see beyond people that are just like them. And so there's Apostolic 2.0. There's the church in Antioch. And because the church in Antioch sent Paul out on his missionary journeys. And because they were concerned about reaching everybody and anybody with the gospel. Paul eventually ended up in Ephesus, which was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was a wealthy, sophisticated city. It had many religions. It had all kinds of wonders of the ancient world there. And it was there that Paul planted a church. There was a church in Ephesus because there was an Antioch church. And then we read this in the book of Acts. And this is my last scripture, Acts 19 and 10. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in the Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks." Because there was an apostolic, missions-minded church in Antioch, there was eventually an apostolic, missions-minded church in Ephesus. And because there was an apostolic, missions-minded church in Ephesus, eventually the entire Roman province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, it wasn't because of Jerusalem. It was because of Antioch. And God is still raising up Antioch churches today and I believe 100% that I am standing on the platform and in the pulpit of one such church, a church with great legacy and history, but you're more than your legacy and your history. Destiny is written on this congregation. Thank you for following the heart and the vision and the leadership of your pastor, because God is raising up churches like this today. And that's why a church like this can impact what happens in the great nation of Brazil. That's why because we have an Antioch heartbeat. Antioch churches are apostolic 2.0. They have both the right message, but they have the right vision and passion too. And so your investment in the kingdom of God today through your giving, that's wonderful. Please remember that God, if you've been blessed this year, I know we've had a strange couple of years, Believe me, I live in a foreign country. We've had a strange couple of years. But if God's blessed you, he hasn't blessed you so you can suddenly increase your standard of living. He's blessed you so you can increase your standard of giving. That's why pastor has us focused on missions today and why these phenomenal missionaries are here that we're going to bless today and that's, that's why this church has always had vision outside of these walls and this campus. It's because we want to be, with all of our heart, an Antioch church. Because we still appreciate something that happened almost 2,000 years ago in Acts 10, when somebody was brave enough to get out of their box and go reach somebody that was not like them at all. And if Peter hadn't obeyed the Lord... God would have had to bypass the great apostle himself and go to somebody else because it was God's will that all of you be in the church today. And we wouldn't have been if the New Testament church hadn't seized their moment of destiny. I say to the Calvary church today, seize your moment of destiny. There are people in this city. There are people in this state. There are people throughout this county that right now, you if, you, if you calculate it in your natural mind, you don't think they would ever want what you have. You don't think they would ever want to be an apostolic Christian. You don't think they would ever have any interest in being part of a church that you attend. You are wrong. God has done it before. God is still doing it. Just last week, A pastor's kid. He's 44 years old. Our district, they laid to rest his father and his mother this year. Beautiful people pastored throughout the Atlantic district, all of their ministry. And that young man, he had been baptized when he was just a kid, but had never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he got involved in an alternative lifestyle. And that took him far from God. We buried his mom. I preached the funeral service just a little bit over a month ago. And last week, for the very first time, he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I saw him on Wednesday night at Bible study. You say, I don't think they could ever be reached. I don't think God... I disagree on the authority of the Word of God. God's interested in that all should receive the gospel, that that it should go everywhere to anyone, and that His house would be full. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church,